to ask God by his spirit to really wake us up. Um, last, last week, we started kind of a series for the summer, which we called Fruitfulness. And the idea was, how do we live our lives in such a way that we are fruitful, that we bear fruit? Different to productivity, a different question to how do I maximize the efficiency of my productivity? No, how do we grow and bear fruit in a healthy way that God intended? That's what we're trying to think through. And last week, we saw that it starts with an understanding that to bear fruit, you have to be connected to Jesus. He's the vine, right? Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You're not a vine, you're a branch, which means that in order to bear fruit, you have to be connected to Jesus. And we thought last week about healthy lives connected to Jesus, multiplying invisible good works, growing in outwardly good stuff. That's fruitfulness. But what I wanted to do this week is think about time and how we can be fruitful in how we use our time. That's our subject. Now, I discovered as I studied this this week, this is a big subject, and we're not going to have time to do it all. But I'd love you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This is where we're going to start. We're not going to stay here. We're going to be all over the place because I'm trying to... Normally, we take one passage and work through it, but for the summer, we're kind of getting some big themes Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and if you've got it on your phone, that'd be great, or if you've got a Bible in front of you, that'd be great. Um, I just want to read the first um, few verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. These are probably the most famous verses in the book of Ecclesiastes, um, and I think they're beautiful. There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Well, we're going to dig into this theme of time. And what I want to do is start with, I've got two main views, right? I want to try and persuade you to change your view of time this afternoon. Okay, that feels like quite a grand philosophical thing. I don't mean it quite so philosophically. What I mean is that I think for many of us, our default position when it comes to time is that time is a tyrant. That's how we feel about it. So the tick. of the clock, we don't welcome it. If you've seen the film uh, Captain Ho- uh, Peter Pan, you'll know that Captain Hook is the kind of baddie, ah, and he's terrorized by a crocodile who has swallowed a clock. And the way that Captain Hook knows that the crocodile's coming is because he hears tick, tock, 
And you may never have thought about this in quite such a deep way, but why? Why did J.M. Barry write the story in such a way that that is what terrified Captain Hook? Because actually what Captain Hook is terrified of is not the crocodile, but time. You see, Captain Hook is terrified by getting older. Particularly because the adversary that he's fighting is Peter Pan, who famously doesn't grow up. So you have this picture of Captain Hook, who is terrorized by time. And I think it's a brilliant image, because I think for many of us, we feel that reality. It's why humanity has been on this kind of quest for the perpetual youth. We want to stay young. We spend millions of pounds trying to stay younger. But the point is, you can't. You will never, ever, ever be younger than you are now. Celebrate it. This is the youngest you will ever be, ever again. His time is so extraordinary. It marches on, and it's unstoppable. Um, I brought with me this sand timer. It's interesting, isn't it, that a sand timer has become a really vivid image of time passing. This sand timer, I'm told, is half an hour. <laughs> Sounds about right. So I'm going to put it... Am I going to stretch the speakers off? I'll put it up there. You can all see... There we go. Time slipping away before our very eyes. And this is like when you play those games with a little 30-second timer, isn't it? You're desperately watching it going, stop, stop. I will try and stop before that sand. <laughs> but I don't promise. So... But here is time slipping away, slipping. There it is, grain by grain. That's your life slipping through your fingers. Time is a master that demands that we bend to its will. It's a dictator that cannot be negotiated with. You can't have a conversation with time and say, do you mind if we just put a hold on this for a second? It cannot be overthrown. Time has no pity. It has no flexibility. It has no inconsistency. Tick. It's relentless. For some people, this tyranny feels like the constant pressure to do more. And so we rush around. Anyone in the room of Russia? You rush. You rush around because there seems to be so much to do. We overcommit ourselves, and we find ourselves running like hamsters on a wheel, desperately trying to do all the things we've said we'll do, well, all the time, time is demanding of you. You need to be there. You should have been there. You should have been there. You should have been there. Tick, tock, tick, tock. I'm sure I'm not the only person who's turned up at a meeting dripping with sweat because I've ridden my Boris bike as fast as I can, and then there was no place to dock the thing when I got to the place that I was supposed to be. It's a, it's a slavery, right? Time is a tyranny. And so we long for time to slow down. We talk about making time for people. You can't make time, right? That's not in your power. But we find time. 
As I've thought about it this week, I've re- it's just really humbled me. Time is the great leveler of humanity. Every human being has exactly 24 hours every day. No one gets more and no one gets less. It is the one resource in our world that is perfectly distributed to every human being. There is no one who is time poor or time rich. We all have the same. Doesn't matter who you are. And we get busy because we have too much to do. We try to put too much into our time, and so it becomes a tyranny. But that isn't the only way that time tyranny scares us. Because I think others of us feel this tyranny in another way. Not so much the excessive busyness, but the emptiness. For some of us, time is not saying, you should do more, you should do more, you should do more. Time is saying, look how empty your life is. Look how much time you have. Time has this ability to apparently slow down, right? When you're in a situation that you don't want to be in and you're staring at the clock and you're thinking, how can it be going so slowly? It's very hard to believe that this 24 hours is the same as that 20. It just doesn't seem possible. And yet that's time. The hours drag by. It's a tyrant that says, here is another evening when you have nothing to do. And you long for time to speed up. You see, half of us want time to slow down. The other half want time to speed up. But either way, time is against us. It's a tyranny. Either way, we feel time breathing down our neck like Captain Hook and his ticking crocodile. But the problem with this is that this mentality will lead us into a battle mindset. We need to try and beat time. Time becomes the thing that we try and cheat or beat. Am I the only person who puts on sat-nav and it says it's going to take three hours, 20 minutes? And you think, I think I can beat that. (laughs) And you spend the whole of the journey with your sat-nav. You know exactly where you're going. You know the route. You don't need the sat-nav. You just want to beat the clock. That's what we're trying to do in our lives, right? We're running around our lives trying to beat the clock, trying to do what the clock won't let us do. Because we think we can. But this leads to a life of chronic rush and hurry. It leads to a life of overworking. It leads to a life of high stress and anxiety. And we really need to understand that busyness is not the same as fruitfulness. If you are busy, it does not necessarily mean you're being fruitful. Some of us really need to hear that this afternoon. So there's the time is a tyranny. I want to change your view, though. If you relate to that in any sort of way, and I know I've overstated it, and you might go, well, I don't think it's... I want to push you the other way. The Bible presents a very different view of time, and I don't... This has changed my view of time this week, so I hope it helps you. And that is, I want to try and see that time is a friend. Time's not a tyrant. Time is a friend. Time is a good thing. It is a gift that has been entrusted to you by God. 
This shift from time as tyrant to time as friend is critical to our fruitfulness. God is not calling you to a life of relentless rush and stress and anxiety. He is calling you to a life of joyful, healthy fruitfulness. So let's get some thinking in place, all right? Let's do some theological thinking just to get our minds. We haven't got time to do all of the stuff here because it's way too much. But let's get some stuff in, in place. God created time. It was his invention. There was a beginning. In the beginning, the Bible starts. The beginning of the Bible says, in the beginning, there was a beginning. Before the beginning, there was no time. God created time. And it's built into the very pattern of creation, the way that he made this world. There was morning, there was evening, tick, tock, tick, tock. God put the rhythm of time into his creation, the way that he made it. The day, the 24-hour period was an invention of God, the creator. He designed it. It's not random or arbitrary. He, he designed how long the earth would take to rotate around the, whatever it does, so that the day would be 24 hours long. The rhythm in this pattern is good. We do not have an endless sequence of moments, but a repeating pattern of evening and morning, night followed by day, sleep followed by waking. That's God's pattern. Now, we're going to spend a whole week in a, in a couple of weeks' time thinking about rest. So we're not going to touch on rest totally today, but rest is an important part of this. But God created you to rest and to work. But there are seasons when God makes the world, he makes the sun, moon, and stars. Why? To mark off the seasons. God wants you to count time. There are times to work hard. There are times to gather it in. There are times to sow. So that Ecclesiastes passage, you can almost hear the tick, tock, tick, tock. And it could sound like tyranny, right? A time to be born, and a time to die, a time to do this, and a time to do this. Or it becomes this beautiful rhythm of what God has placed within our world. A time, a time, a time time. That's the pattern. There's a pace to this. We need to notice it. It was created for us. So look, get this. When God made the world, he made a space for us to occupy. Three dimensions, height, length, and breadth, width, whatever. God made this world. He created a physical place. But do you understand? We, we sort of get that. We go, oh, that's nice. God made a nice world. Look, mountain, that's nice. But do you understand that God also made time? He made a fourth dimension. Physicists, I know the controversy about Romans and dimension, just go with it. He made a fourth dimension called time. Because in order for you to enjoy space, you also need time. It's how he created us to exist. I know we're getting philosophical, but this matters because God designed it for our good. And if you look at a mountain and say, well, that's good, then you should look at the clock and say, that's good. God made it this way. So that we could experience this world. That means, get this, God is not bound by time. If God created time, he is outside of time. God dwells in eternity. Now, here's the problem, right? Most of us think 
If I asked you to define what eternity is, I think our instinct would be to say it's a very, very long time. No, it's not. Eternity is not a very, very long time. Eternity is not time. Eternity is another dimension which God exists in. God inhabits eternity. That is his existence. How does eternity work? I haven't got a scooby-doo. I don't know because I live in time. I don't know what it feels like to be in eternity, but God does because he is in eternity. And then he creates this world with a dimension called time and puts us in it. Says, this is the perfect place. That's the good gift God gives us. God gave us time so that our existence would have order and purpose. And by the way, if in Jesus we're then given eternal life, we actually get to enjoy... Wow. I don't know what eternity future will... Even if what that is. Because is there? It doesn't matter. Come back to this. God gave us time so our existence would have order and sense. Of course we can't imagine an existence without time. Each 24-hour period is not a desperate game to try and cram in as much as you can before the clock strikes 12. That's not the game. It's not like one of those pick-and-mix things where you have a cup and you've got to just put in as many sweets as you can. That's, That's not the game. It's not a prison to try and enjoy. It's a gift that God entrusts to each one of his creatures. He gives you time. I think that's really beautiful. And if we can live and learn to breathe in the rhythms of God, perhaps we will learn what fruitfulness really feels like. So when God, let's just keep pushing on this. When God put the human beings in the garden, he gave them the physical space, length, height, and breadth. When he gave them the physical space, what did he then tell them to do with it? To cultivate it. To take care of it. To make the garden grow. He didn't say, here's a garden, just go and lie around and enjoy it. He said, grow it. Be fruitful. Make things grow. So what if God does the same with time? He gives you your time. Here's your 24 hours. Now he says, now cultivate it. Use it. Take care of it. Make it grow. I hope you can see some of the ways that I'm I'm trying to push this. The Christian thinker and writer Dallas Willard, he talks about ruthlessly eliminating hurry from our lives. Isn't that a great phrase? You need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Because he says, hurry is the biggest enemy to spiritual growth. One of the reasons that many of us aren't growing or aren't growing as fast as we might as Christians or aren't being as fruitful as we could as Christians is because of hurry. Because we packed our lives so full of things that we hurry around. So let's just take a moment to, to think about Jesus. Let's meditate on Jesus for a second. Because here is the God who inhabits eternity, creates time. Then God himself, in the person of his son, becomes a human being like us. Suddenly, he is now inhabiting time. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Jesus, for the whole of his life, because he's perfect, he cultivated every 24-hour period 
perfectly. He used it perfectly. And one of the things I've realized about Jesus this week is that nowhere in the, go- in the Gospels are we told that Jesus ran anywhere. Loads of other people run. There are people running all over the place in the Gospels, but not Jesus. I found that really interesting. I shared this with the elders this morning at our early morning prayer meeting. One of them, who should remain nameless, decreed that this was a categorical statement of why we should not run. (laughs) Um, There's only three of us there, and anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, But but it's now I'm not saying Jesus never ran. Of course he ran. He's a human being. It'd be weird if he never ran. But my point is, he never. You never get this sense of him, ah, I need to be I'm late, running over here and running over here. Here is the man who cultivated his time perfectly. Was he busy? Yes, he was busy. But he was busy loving people. Here's Jesus who perfectly used his time and invested it in exactly the right way, who knew when to rest and who knew when to pray and who knew how to use his time. And Jesus, who at exactly the right time, went to the cross, and gave his life for us. That's what Jesus did with his life. That's what Jesus did with his time. I remember when I was 33. Some of you aren't 33 yet. You've got this joy to look forward to. I realized that I was as old as Jesus was when he died on the cross. And I thought, well, I really haven't, I haven't achieved much in my life. <laughs> it's a funny thing, right? But Jesus had... Less time on earth than I have had. He was bound by time. So look, I've labored this. Um, Oh no, sorry. So time, right? It's such an ironic sermon, this, isn't it? I'm kind of, I've got so much to say, I'm so stressed. There's something so weird about preaching on this, but never mind. Time is not a tyrant, time is a friend. Right, I have got, don't kill me, I've got six things, six things which we're going to do quickly, which I hope will be practical. Some of these things might, might just be useful for you, right? Here we go. Here's the first one. Know the symptoms. Know the symptoms of when your life is too stressed and hurried. You already know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway, because some of you will make you go, oh, he's right, that is, that is me. Here are some of the symptoms. You get irritable with people. You're frustrated. You get anxious about all the stuff that you need to do. You feel anxious all the time. You get distracted. You see, some of us, when we're busy, we become hyper, hyper-organized, and we make to-do lists and to-do lists. Some of us sit and watch YouTube. But that is, we're different. Some of us are organizers. Some of us are procrastinators. If I write down the things I've got to do, it stresses me out. So I just think, oh, I won't do that. That would be an awful thing to do. We've got to understand that we're different, we're wired differently, but we find ways to express that our relationship with time is not healthy. I wonder if you can see any of those symptoms. Here's the second thing, embrace the limits. Rather than fighting against the limits that time places on you, embrace them. Because time tells you that you are not God. You cannot do everything you want to do. You cannot do everything you care about. 
because you're not God. And there is something so wonderfully liberating about being able to say, I I can't do that. And resting in that. I think lots of us have had the experience of feeling like rubbish friends. You ever felt like a rubbish friend? Someone that you know is struggling and you feel like you ought to see them. And so you try and see them, but you're so distracted by a million other things that you don't really engage very well with them, and you feel like, oh, they've needed much more than that. We find ourselves so stressed out about it. Actually, there is a time for saying, I can't. I can't. What we are doing when we keep saying yes to things is essentially placing ourselves as God. And because of technology... Look, technology is wonderful. I'm not an anti-techno person, person, but you've got to recognize how it's changed things. Until the invention of the the light bulb, all right? We're not talking high levels of technology. We're talking light bulbs. Until the invention of the light bulb, apparently the average human being had 10 hours sleep a night because it was dark. (laughs) What else do you do? You go to bed and sleep. And sometimes you, know, sometimes you read about these guys who got up at four in the morning to pray. Yeah, but they probably went to bed at six o'clock the night before. <laughs> in fairness. I'm not dissing it, but, you know, we've got to be careful that we don't... But, but now with the, with the light bulb, it doesn't, day and night is irrelevant now. It doesn't make any difference. You can work all day and work all night, and it doesn't matter because you've got light. It's changed us. And of course, even more so when you start talking about the um, communication technology. So I think one of the reasons that lockdown was exhausting was because suddenly you realized you could have meetings back to back all day. Because Zoom, you just, it takes five seconds to click from this meeting, click, I'm in the next one. And what we realized is that actually walking between meetings was really important. But we've rammed everything full. We're constantly on call. Anyone can communicate with you at any point. We never switch our phones off, so we're always in contact. So someone, so something happens in our workplace, we know about it immediately, and it stresses us out. See, time is... We're becoming... Technology is enabling us to become more and more like God. Omniscient, omnipresent. We've got to resist that. We've got to say, I can't do that. We've got to learn to say no to things and embrace our limits and say, thank God he made me human. Thank God he only gave me 24 hours in the day. Because if God had given you another five hours in the day, what would you have done with it? Packed it with a load more stuff. Because we kid ourselves, if I've had another five hours in the day, I could get everything done. No, you couldn't because you'd just do more. Because we have this God complex. It's an arrogance. It's a pride in us that says, no, I must do this. Can I tell you one of the, most, one of the hardest things about going on sabbatical? I've been on sabbatical for three months. It was, it was coping with the reality that things might be okay without me. I, I don't say that as a joke. I, I say that genuinely. It's quite humbling. But actually, it's really liberating. Because it means these things don't rest on me. The world doesn't rest on me. It's God. 
He's the one who exists in eternity. I dwell in time. And therefore, he is not bound by time, but I am. And that means, thirdly, we need to build in margin. Build margin into your life. Put space into your program. You see, if you ram your diary so full that there's no space to breathe, then you have no capacity to react and to love people when they need you. Because you can't quite fit them in. I do think it's one of the dangers of our culture, and particularly the way that lots of us have been used to things. You know, we'll say, oh, let's have dinner together. And we get our diaries out, and we plan it for three months' time. Now, I'm not knocking that, okay? That's good, okay? And for some of us, that's an important... Fine, great. But the trouble is, if that's the only way we operate, and someone is in a crisis, and I'm like, well, I've got a slot in three months. Where's the space that just allows us to be able to, to move towards people, to build in margin? I'm going to say something that if you've been around at Globe Church for, like, longer than... However, you'll have heard me say this, but it's my favorite thing. Now, I won't do it very, I'll do it very quickly. But one of my favorite examples of this is Jesus. From the life of Jesus, right? He's, he's on his way to die on a cross. He's about to give his life to save the world. That's a big deal, right? You are never going to have a to-do list which is bigger than that. He's going to defeat the powers of darkness. He's going to bear the punishment of God. He's going to die in your place so that you could inhabit eternity with him. But on his way to Jerusalem, as he goes to the cross, he stops. What could possibly make him stop on his way to the cross? Well, it's a blind beggar who sits by the side of the road and says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Can I be honest with you? I think my diary sometimes is so full that I would walk past Bartimaeus because I've got more important things to do. Jesus was going to die on a cross and he stopped for a beggar. I find that really challenging. Because Jesus had margin in his time and in his heart to show compassion to someone in need. So look, here's a suggestion. And by the way, this is not a go. I'm not having a go at anyone on this because I'm going to say something about being on time at church in a minute, which is not... For those of you late today, you're going to like it. But for this, for this, what if you build into your time? You say, right, I've got to be. At, I want to be at church with some margin. Because what if God might have something for me to do on the way to church? There might be someone that I meet that I need to engage with. So you leave your house 15 minutes early, saying, Lord, I, I, I give you this 15 minutes. What do you want me to do with it? Now you're walking down the street with a slightly different perspective, right? Are you, my are you my 15 minutes? You're looking for who God might want you to engage with. And if you get to church and you haven't found your 15 minutes on the way, I guarantee you'll find it here. There'll be someone who'll be here who you could welcome, who might need you in that moment. And because you built the margin into your time, you have the space to engage with them. And because you built the habit, you were looking for it. You see, if you build some margin, you could do that in all sorts of ways in your life. 
but putting some space in. Some of us need to put it in our diaries, margin, <laughs> write it, and then guard it, and then use it. This is different to rest time, okay? This is different to when I, I, I'm resting. This is time I want to give to you, God. I don't know what for, but perhaps you'd like it. Here's half an hour in my week that I d- I'm not planned anything. It's for you, Lord. What do you want me to do with it? I'd like you to sit and write a letter. To say, Great, I'll sit and write a letter. You see, that's what margin does. Oh, okay. Um, for the, the fourth thing is understand, Kyra, uh, understand Kairos. Um, in, in the New Testament, there are two Greek words for time, chronos and kairos. Chronos is where we get our chronological, chronological uh, kind of order. This happens and this happens and this happens. And Chronos is about your ordered time. It's about when and where and why. Kairos is much more about relationship. It's, about, it's more interested in timing than time. And I think we live in a world that's obsessed with a Chronos view. I'll do this, and then I'll do this, and then I'll do this. We schedule, and we schedule, and we schedule. Whereas I think the Bible, when it talks about time, is about, no, you love, and you love, and you love. So, this is going to annoy the people who, are, who, who love everything to be punctual. Being late to church might be fine. Wow. Your mic isn't here. He'd be really cross with me. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, because actually, there may be all sorts of reasons for being late to church. Because there was something going on. You were doing something, and and to cut that short, to meet this deadline, wouldn't have been right. Of course, it can be ungodly to be late because you actually it's just because you're selfish or didn't care or whatever. But my, my point is that fruitfulness in our timing is not necessarily meeting every deadline and being at every single thing. It's about having space for one another and compassion for one another. You see, God, this blew my mind this week when I was thinking about this. God doesn't have like, for, for God, it's timing that matters. It isn't that God said, right, on the 25th of December, I know it wasn't the 25th of December, but on the 25th of December in year zero, I'm going to send my son at exactly this moment. No, God sent his son when the timing was right. At just the right time. Not at a scheduled moment that he got in his calendar, he's going, oh, three days till you go, son. It was now. It's now. And it's that, it's that moment that we go through our lives going, it's na- now's the moment when I act. <laughs> now, don't hear me over saying this. We do need to love each other by keeping appointments and by doing stuff and by being on time. I get that. But sometimes that's a very cultural thing for us. That's how we roll. And perhaps we need to embrace a little bit more kairos in our chronos. Uh, right, fifth thing. We're nearly, we're nearly there. Look at that. Um, practice going slower, just go slower. That's good. Walk slower. Deliberately walk slower. Leave yourself five minutes extra and walk slower. Or walk, in fact. Don't get the tube. Okay, here's something. What about this? Um, if you're cycling, if you're a cycling person, 
When you get to a red traffic light, stop at it. <laughs> I mean, I could stop there. <laughs> Can I say that is the law, right? <laughs> stop at a red traffic light. Don't be cross with it. Use it to pray. Pray for someone. When the light goes red, Lord, you've stopped me because you've got someone you wanted me to pray for. I cycled down to Hope Church Vauxhall this morning because I was preaching there, and every, I promise, every light went red. <laughs> As I'd had this thought this morning, every light. I prayed for all of my focus group. If you're in my focus group, I prayed for you this morning at one of the traffic lights between here and Vauxhall. <laughs> and it was great. Because suddenly my obsession with this horrible red light that's stopping me became, no, this is a friend. What a moment. You embrace interruptions. I think it was C.S. Lewis, I can't even remember anymore um, where I read this. But how you respond to an interruption is who you truly are. Isn't that good? That actually interruptions aren't there to spoil your life. Interruptions are what make your life. God shapes you and he says, I want you to be fruitful here. I have good work to do. And the last, oh no, it's gone. The last, the last thing is be busy with love. This is not a call that we shouldn't be busy, but it's a call that we should be busy with love. Loving people. Jesus was busy. See, there's a bad busyness, which is about my stress and me achieving everything. And there's a good busyness which is pouring out my life for others. If you're tired because you've spent the day serving Jesus, if, you've if you're tired because you've been working hard at work because you wanted to honor Jesus, that's a good tiredness, right? That's good. And as we love one another, it will be costly. It costs Jesus his life to lay down his life, to lay down his time for us. Look, there's so much that could be said. Um, I just want to encourage you to have a think about the way that you use time. Maybe there's one, I'd love you to take at least one of the practical ideas that we talked about this afternoon. And you could, you're creative, come on, you could think of more. But in the midst of all of this, remember, it's about being connected with Jesus. So really, the headline over all of this should have been, whatever else you do with your time, put Jesus first. Choose him. Choose what's better. Choose to sit at his feet. If that means getting up 15 minutes earlier so you've got time to read the Bible, do it. Why wouldn't we? Guys, we're going to pray. Um, then we're going to sing and respond. Um, Linda's going to come and share a couple of thoughts as well because um, from sabbatical and some of the things she's been learning in this area of fruitfulness and time. So that's going to be useful. So we're going to, but we're going to pray. I want to give us some space. I want to let this breathe a little bit. I know it's um, really warm, but I want us to let God's spirit convict us and challenge us and help us to make some resolutions. Father, you're the God who dwells in eternity. You're not bound like us. You're not rushed. You're not stressed. But we are. Lord, we so often run off after other things. We become harassed and helpless. We become stressed out. Lord, many of us in this room, we feel so stressed. We pray you'd help us to learn how to say yes and no to things. For, for many of us in this room, we're going to need to 
remove some things in order to give us the space to live in a healthy way. For some of us, Lord, our, our lives feel very empty. We pray that you know how to help us to know how to use that time as a gift, not as a tyrant. Lord, whatever it is you're saying to us this afternoon, please, by your spirit, let us see it and let us live it, we ask. In Jesus' name. Uh, great. Uh, I'm Linda. Uh, I'm married to Janty. We had a sabbatical together, which was really fab. Can I give you that? Thanks. Um, and I just want to share a few things um, that I learned in sabbatical about time, about fruitfulness. Um, and one of the things that John T. has already shared um, from Ecclesiastes was this idea that um, the world has rhythm and um, order and a cyclical pattern built into it. I actually, I'd like to be really practical, so I'll show you one of the things that I did. John T. had this Bible that he was working through, a journaling Bible. I was a bit um, more of a cheapskate, and I photocopied Ecclesiastes so that I could write all over it, uh, which is really amazing. And actually, um, it was for me in the beginning part of Ecclesiastes where um, the person who wrote it, the preacher, says, all streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. So the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. And he's, he's reflecting... Um, what John T. Rudd was a poem, and here's another reflection about the cyclical nature of the creation that God has built. I was reflecting um, in our sweatical on the cyclical things in my life. Um, they include washing up. I, I felt like I could write a little ode to washing up. <laughs> uh, washing up, it is clean, and then it gets dirty again, and then you have to wash it up again. And um, it struck me, as because the Kairos and the Kronos thing was something that um, actually I'd been reading about, and I shared with John T., and we were talking about it together, and um, it's, it's sometimes it's the time for washing up. And rather than actually railing against that and being as if washing up shouldn't exist, <laughs> actually, now is the time for washing up. Now is the time for pairing socks. Now, you know, for those of you who are parents, there are many, many cyclical things in your life. Now is the time for changing a nappy and changing a nappy and changing a nappy and doing a feed and doing a feed and doing a feed. It's very, very cyclical. And in our sabbatical, I actually found it really helpful to embrace the idea that this is the time for washing up. And it's not this frustration that I have to constantly fight against, but it is actually part of being human. Um, as I was reading up on Ecclesiastes, I read this wonderful quote that says, we can't control time. The world has its own rhythm and order. Human goals should be set in accordance with the nature of reality, not in defiance of it. And so what I decided in sabbatical for me, rather than just starting a load of new things, actually, I would go back to the old things that I knew, the old habits. Habits are this beautiful part of God's creation that reflect the work with the grain of how we're created, this repeated pattern of day after day. Because um, it was funny, I thought to myself, oh, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a new prayer diary and I'm going to start afresh. So I threw my prayer diary in the bin and I got out a new one and I thought, great. And then I thought, no, go back to the old one because this, it's really messy. It's got scribbles all over it. It's got different pens written. It's really, I find it really ugly. And yet this reflects the journey I've had with these people. And I got it back out of the bin and I just worked my way through it. And that for me was a, actually a really big part of sabbatical was saying, hang on, who are the people that I love, who I pray for, who I want to invest in? And I, I found that perhaps is a little parable, really, of everything I want to say about sabbatical. 
is just getting back to the old habits, because you probably know what you need to change off the back of this sermon. You probably don't need to start a new thing. That's like this kind of delusion of the life pack, that somehow there is this shortcut to being a better person. And actually, you know what you need to do. You know the habits that work for you. And sometimes it's about getting that old prayer diary back out and just saying, yes, I want to embrace this cycle, this who I am, this daily pattern of how God's created me to be. And um, I'll simply just tell you what I do because I think sometimes we're not practical enough about these things. So I just, um, some things are important. I focus on the Bible. And I just, instead of just reading it, I try to actually remember what I've learned. I got back my prayer diary out. I've told you that already. And the other thing that I tried to do, and I think this ties in with what John T was saying about the way that we try to cram in back-to-back meetings, I just try and do 10,000 steps <laughs> because actually it, we're created to move. <laughs> not really created to sit at a desk all day long. So I don't want to massively advocate getting the sports watch or anything like that. But you know the things that keep you healthy. I also had to realize that I actually have insomnia. I used to say, oh, I didn't sleep well because I'm obviously stressed. I had lots of time in sabbatical and I still didn't sleep well. And it was kind of helpful for me to just go, do you know, I have a number of minor chronic health things that actually if I actually got into those good habits that I know I ought to do, that physio for the um, injury that I had as a child, like actually I would be much better able to serve God. And for the little time it takes, I get a lot of reward. So those are the practical things that I was doing. Um, I think we all look hot and very, very tired. So I'm actually just going to stop there. But yeah, um, I don't know whether I actually said anything helpful at all. But I just want to encourage you to get back to the old because you probably know the answer to all the things that, yeah, you should be doing. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Um, good. Well, we're going to sing one more time and finish. Um, but I do want to give us some space to respond to this because I feel like there's something important here. And I know it's it's an effort, but but it's important. And some of us, I think, may, may just need to seek someone out and say, look, can we talk about this? If you, if you are completely out of control with your diary, why not ask someone who you know is pretty good with their diary to say, how do you do it? If you just don't have a conversation, no one is going to mind if you say that. Um, I'll be